0: So Matthew 1, verses 1 to 17, this will also be the text for this morning's sermon. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jequaniah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Matan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. And now let us also respond to the uh, reading of God's Word, singing together Psalm 132. This psalm speaks about God's covenant with David, and so we will sing Psalm 132, stanzas 6 and 10. Mm As mentioned, the text for this morning's sermon is Matthew 1, the verses 1 to 17, and we have already read those verses together. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, last week at church, uh, many of you received the Christmas clarion. It's the last issue uh, for the year of the Canadian Reform Magazine. Now, I had already been planning to preach on this passage for this Sunday, but when I opened up my copy, lo and behold, I saw an article by Dr. Jason Van Vliet titled, The Gospel of Our Savior's Family Tree. The Gospel of Our Savior's Family Tree. And, And what fitting words... There's indeed plenty of good news packed into these lists of names. See, it's not just uh, there for information. These, this genealogy tells us so much. Tells us so much about our Savior. And these, uh, these names, these people tell us so much about our God, our great God. We are continuing our sermon series on Advent and the attributes of God. Now, I certainly cannot say everything about our great God in one little sermon series. We've had a few sermons on this theme, but there's so much to say, right? We could never exhaust uh, who God is. It would never finish on its own. Yet, this text here, although it compiles a list of human names tells us so much about our God. And what we want to see this morning is that this text that describes the human ancestry of our Lord Jesus Christ reveals to us the same God who proclaimed to Moses in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That's what God proclaims himself to be to Moses. That's who he reveals himself to be. Exodus 34. As we study this genealogy, we see, yes, this is the same God revealing himself through history. And Perhaps you've searched your own genealogy before, your own family tree. You want to find out something about yourself, about your family history. Well, we're going to look at this genealogy to see who our great triune God is. So, summarize the sermon as follows. Advent and the attributes of God The genealogy of Christ. We'll look at God's grace, look at God's judgment, and we'll look at God's faithfulness. Now, before we really dig in, I want to draw your attention to verse 17. There, Matthew, writing by the Holy Spirit, divides his genealogy into three different sections three sections of 14 generations. One section is from Abraham to David. One from David to the exile in Babylon, and one from the exile in Babylon to the Christ. Now, I've split the three points of the sermon according to the three sets of generations. Now, that doesn't mean we can split God into different parts. I did not do this in order to say that God was loving during one era of history and judging in another era of history and faithful in another era. That would be wrong. But we're going to focus on one perfection of God as we look at each section of this genealogy. Certainly each section causes different things to come into focus for us. Reveals us something about our God. First we're going to focus on God's grace or His mercy. We could call it His covenant love and grace. You can see that in the very first words of our text. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Spirit wants to highlight that Christ was descended both from David and from Abraham. And certainly God's covenant grace and love is highlighted for us in these two men. God made gracious and loving covenant promises to them. God promised to bless Abraham, to make him into a great nation. God promised that in his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Then there's God's promise to David. In 2 Samuel 7, God promised David wonderful things. One of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. God promised that this descendant would build a house for God's name. And these promises came by God's pure grace. Think of Abraham. God came to him when he was living in Ur of the Chaldeans. Joshua 24 says that Abraham and his family, they they worshipped idols. God chose him. Called them out from there. He made his covenant with Abraham, and Abraham began to serve the Lord. It's completely contrary to what he deserved. Think, too, of David. Yes, by the power of the Spirit, he was a man after God's own heart. But he did not earn these promises from God in any way. David himself confesses this in 2 Samuel 7. He prays to God, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Because of your promise, according to your own heart, you have brought about this greatness to make your servant know it. David knows that he must give all praise and glory to God alone. This is where praise belongs. He hasn't earned these things. God graciously gave them to him. And this is where we must come as well, beloved. Remember, God has made covenant promises with us. Think about it. Children, believing parents, conceived and born in sin. By nature, by nature, children of wrath. And yet God makes His covenant promises with little babies. Not because the child has deserved it in any way, not because we have deserved it. Simply by God's grace. So each of us, when we see the grace God has given to us, Let us respond as David did. Who am I? O Lord God. What is my house that you have brought me thus far? Who am I that you would set your grace upon me? The temptation for us is, is to turn God's covenant into a mere concept or formula. Are we astounded by His grace, his, his covenant love, His mercy? It's the same grace shown to Abraham and David. Now, the first part of this genealogy moves from Abraham to King David. And these, the promises to these two men are actually connected. Right? God promised Abraham that in his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then God worked his sovereign plan to David, promised him a royal child, and it's through that royal child that the promises to Abraham would be fulfilled. Right In that royal child of David, the blessings promised to Abraham would be fulfilled. So the Lord was at work in this time moving from Abraham to David. And as God moved through the generations from Abraham to David, we see more of His overflowing grace along the way. Look at the people of this text. Think of Jacob. Self-reliant person. Often relied on his own cunning instead of God. He, didn't, he did not deserve anything from God. Think of Judah. Let's look at the book of Genesis. He did atrocious things in his life. Yet God changed him. Think of Rahab. She was a Canaanite prostitute. She deserved God's judgment. Yet God came to her, worked faith in her heart. By the Spirit, she displayed her faith in hiding the spies an object of God's pure undeserved grace. Think also of Ruth, a Moabite woman. By right, she should have been excluded from God's people, but God graciously brought her in, worked faith in her heart's repentance. Think also of King David. Verse 6 says his wife had been Uriah's wife, which is Bathsheba. Think of the grace that God had shown to David. When we look at this genealogy, we see so many objects of grace. Beloved, that's what we must confess that we are. Simply objects of God's grace. If it were not for God's grace, none of us would be saved. No one. None of us can boast before the Lord. The coming of the Son of God into the world required a gracious God. And these people here, they show that everyone who repents and believes receive God's free forgiveness. It's there in the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to our next point. Now the first set of genealogies ends on a high point. King David. Right? God gave David and Israel rest from all their enemies. And God gave marvelous promises to David. It seemed like a golden age was coming. That's what you would think, perhaps, when you, when you look at David, the promises God gave to David. And a golden age did come for a time through Solomon but it was extremely short-lived. Solomon amassed great wealth for himself, something the kings of Israel were not supposed to do, and he fell into idolatry through his foreign wives. And this, of course, resulted in the downward spiral of the kingship. And there's a warning here, beloved. The warning is God's grace never gives us the go-ahead to embrace a life of sin. Paul says in Romans 6, Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Take these kings here. So many of them lived, led lives of idolatry. They ignored God in their day-to-day lives. They did not pay attention to God. They did not pay attention to His Word. In fact, they thrust God's Word behind them. And so often in their lives, they were devoted to other things instead of the Lord. They loved other things instead of God. They loved other things more than God. And their evil desires and their unbelief led them into full-blown idolatry and sin. They served idols, gods of wood and stone and gold. Right, Take your pick of these kings. Yes, there were some that served the Lord, but there were so many who did not. Think of King Manasseh, he erected altars to Baal, he set up an asher in the house of the Lord, and by doing so, he provoked the Lord to anger. And both Israel and Judah were exiled of the, the promised land because of idolatry. Second Kings 17 says about Israel, The exile occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. Who had brought them out, out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of the Pharaoh king of Egypt, and feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God, things that were not right. right. The people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. And 2 Chronicles 36 says about Judah, the Lord, the God of their father, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Right There's a, there's a warning for us, for you and, and also for me. As God worked to bring his son into the world, he also showed his just judgment against those who turn their backs on his word and persisted in their sin without repenting beloved are you reading and listening to god's word are you taking it to heart or are you seeking to follow god's word or are you going your own way doing secretly against the lord your god things that are not right The kings of Israel and Judah fell into idolatry. They embraced idols. They served other things instead of God. And that's what our battle in life is so often against, isn't it? A battle against idolatry. Idolatry so easily arises out of our hearts, idols of greed, the love of money, the God of self. You name it. We so easily love other things and serve other things instead of God. What controls your life? What desires are leading you into sin? Fight against idolatry, beloved. Idolatry invites God's just judgment. It brings stern discipline upon those who do not repent. Remember what the Lord Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. And are you trying to do that? Are you trying to serve two different masters in your life? Are you serving the Lord? Or are you serving something else? Are you striving to walk in the ways of God, or are you walking in the ways of sin? Beloved, take heed. See the kings of Judah. Forsake your sin. Don't hold on to your sin. Throw it away. Repent. Heaven calls us to see who our God is. God came to this world in the person of Jesus Christ God sent John the Baptist ahead of Christ to prepare the people. He called them to turn from their sins to make themselves ready for the coming of the Lord. Take it to heart. Turn from sin, turn from idols, let them go. Serve the Lord. In fact, ask God that you would love Him with all of your heart. Pray to Him that you would love Him more than anything else, than anyone else in all the world. He will hear that prayer. Let us serve the Lord alone. It brings us to our next point. The second set of 14 generations which ended in the exile shows us something important. It shows us not only that God is a just judge who punishes sin, It also shows that the fulfillment of the promise depends not on humans. And if it depended on humans, human strength, human achievement, human faithfulness, then the promises of God were not going to come about at all. Right at the time of the exile, God's promises seemed to be nearly extinguished. The human kingship had been a failure. David's royal son was not sitting on his throne forever. In fact, his throne had been removed, it seemed. The king had been exiled away from Israel. Not only that, but all nations were not being blessed by Abraham's offspring. In fact, the nations were celebrating their own idols because they thought they'd gained the victory over Israel's God. At the end of the second set of generations, things seemed hopeless. They seemed futile. But all was not lost. And that's because we have a faithful God. He's faithful even when humans are not. We have a God who is able to raise the dead. He was going to raise his dead people to life again. Out of the ashes of the exile, God raised up a remnant of His people. He brought them back to the promised land. and He established them again. In fact, God did astounding things in this time. Second Chronicles 36 describes the exile. But the last words of 2 Chronicles 36 provide hope. Near the end of the exile, King Cyrus of Persia, a Gentile king, made a proclamation and he said, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, the people of Israel, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Right. That's astounding. God was faithful to his promises. He brought this change about. He ensured that his people could return. And he directed Cyrus, this Gentile king, to make this proclamation so that his promises would be fulfilled. And after the exiles came back, they experienced much struggle. But God sustained them as his people. Eventually, at the proper time, he brought the Christ, the Messiah, into the world. And that's one thing Matthew, by the Holy Spirit, wants to drive home here. Matthew is primarily writing to the Jews. He's trying to convince them that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. And why would this genealogy help the Jews? Think of the Jews As the gospel is going out after the time of Pentecost, Matthew writes his gospel. Why would this genealogy help the Jews to convince them that Jesus is the Christ? Well, it's because the Jews knew their ancestry. It was important for them to know which tribe they belonged to and who their ancestors were. Think of what Paul says in Philippians 3. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Right? The Jews knew their ancestry was important. And so this record was meant to show them, look, Jesus is the Christ. He's descended from Abraham and David just like he should be. This isn't a secret. I'm not making this up. You can go check out the genealogical records for yourself if you want to. Christ is heir to the throne of David. He is heir of the promises of God. And Matthew is proclaiming in this genealogy that God has been faithful. He made promises to Abraham and David, and he's keeping these promises through his son Jesus Christ. And Matthew ends this genealogy with Christ because we need look no further than Christ for the fulfillment of God's promises. He's the one. The genealogy stops with Him. He is the goal of God's promises. And all of God's promises are yes and amen in Him. This genealogy starts with Abraham and David. God promised to bless all nations in Abraham's offspring, and he would secure those blessings through David's offspring. This genealogy is telling us this blessing is found in Jesus Christ alone. God sent his son to redeem his people. Paul says in Galatians 4: when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is why God sent His Son into the world, to redeem us. So that we could be called children of God. And isn't that what all these people in this genealogy needed? They needed to be redeemed. Redeemed. They needed a savior. Not one of them could escape the punishment they deserved because of their sin. Look at every single one of them. All of them were broken people in and of themselves. All of them had a sinful nature. All of them faced struggles. All of them faced temptations. All of them stumbled along the way. All of them eventually died. But those who looked ahead in faith to the Christ had a Redeemer, and that's what they needed. And God did not leave them without a Redeemer. That's why God sent His Son into the world to redeem broken people. People who cannot save themselves. And that is us. We are a lot like this these people in this genealogy we have our weaknesses we have our imperfections and doubts but look to Christ beloved Christ came to save us save people like are found in this genealogy there's redemption in him perfect redemption think of all these kings here From David all the way to Jeconiah, the time of the exile, all these kings in this genealogy failed. God made a promise to David, one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. Well, all of these kings died. All of them failed. And that's because they were sinners. Not one of them had the righteousness needed to live eternally on David's throne. What did God's people need? They needed the Christ to come. They needed God to be their king again. And so God sent Christ, the righteous branch from David's line. He's the Son of God and He did not fail. Never once did He serve idols. He obeyed God even to the point of dying on a cross to pay for our sins. Christ, the righteous one, was raised to life again. And this King, our Lord Jesus Christ, is our righteousness before God. And this is why there's eternal life in Him. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by this great King, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. And You see that in Matthew's Gospel. In fact, you see it right at the end. At the start of this genealogy, we have God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations, and we have God's promise to David to set his son on his throne forever. And both of these things come back in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. The risen Christ said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the promise to David fulfilled. And he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, the promise to Abraham. Through Christ Jesus, the gospel is going out into the world. People are brought to faith in Jesus Christ and they are blessed in Christ. God is faithful to his word. The gospel will go out into this world. All nations are being blessed by Christ, even as we speak. He blesses us through the forgiveness of our sins, and He blesses us by teaching us to walk in His ways. Beloved, God will continue to be faithful in this world. Trust Him. Serve Him. Obey Him in all things. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together hymn 66.